We are in our season of Advent. Uh, Advent is a season of waiting, a season of anticipation. Uh, I feel like, hey, I've never, I've never heard of that before. It's, you know, I know Christmas, but what's this, what's this Advent stuff? Uh, Advent is a season of, of ministry, uh, something that uh, some churches celebrate it, some don't. Uh, it, it's merely a tool for how we can prepare our hearts and prepare our minds in this season of waiting, in this season of anticipation. Prior to the birth of Jesus, the people of God were in anticipation of a Savior. God had made multiple promises and there multiple prophecies that foretold a Messiah who would come. And in some of the parameters around that Messiah, we can see uh, just one of those prophecies here in Jeremiah 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. That's about the family line that Jesus will come from. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. And so the season of Advent is a time to remember that Jesus has come to us. That God fulfilled His purpose in all these Old Testament prophecies that foretell a Messiah that, that's all fulfilled, every last one, in the person of Jesus. We can remember that. We can rejoice in that, in the forgiveness and the eternal life that is found in Jesus. And then we can use this as, as a tool to help turn our focus, to refocus our attention towards Jesus and towards his promised return, that he will come again. We're going to spend some time in First John chapter 3, but I want to kind of start just a verse before it, in First John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Look at that phrase, so that when he appears, it's this anticipation, this expectation that he is coming back. For that's what he told his disciples. So what, what does this season look like in your home? What family traditions do you have? Maybe you already have some Christmas traditions. You put up the decorations, the lights, the Christmas tree. I don't know if it'll become a, a tradition for us, but I started naming our Christmas tree. Uh, it was just kind of something fun to do. And um, so we had a named Christmas tree. You know, maybe Floyd will be a good name for a tree this year. I don't know. We haven't picked out the tree yet, so I'm not sure. Um, but just some fun things that we do around the house. And uh, maybe you have some activities that you do this time of year, whether it be um, Christmas cookies, going to parties, a lot of times it's work parties, or, or just in the neighborhood, or just your own family, or inviting people over. Um, something that we actually started doing was gingerbread houses. You know, I, I think there's a part of it where it's like, hey, I never really did this as a kid, and I always wanted to. And so now being an adult, I can do whatever I want. Not totally, but kind of. And so we... we, we Start doing gingerbread houses. In my head, I kind of had these visions of grandeur that I would engineer this empire of gingerbread house, but then I forget that I have kids working with me, and, it, you know, yeah. Um, so that was fun. But what are the traditions in your house? And there's some we can do that just are, are, are a reason to get together and enjoy each other's company and to do life together. But there's also things we can do that turn our focus and turn our attention towards Jesus, that remember his promised second coming, that rejoice in his first coming. And so what traditions do you have that serve to refocus our hearts and minds? We talked last week a little bit about, a little bit about Advent, how there's things like Advent calendars, 
uh, whether it's get one of the ones you little chocolate every time or it's just something that you do daily that has a, a reading. There's all kinds of different ones out there. Easiest place is use Google um, Advent calendars uh, or uh, Advent devotionals. Uh, there's actually one that we found at thevillagechurch.net is the best place you can go to that, go to that website. We also put a link to it on the Meadowland Facebook page. Um, if you're, I know we've already begun this, but you can always jump in at any point. Don't feel like you've missed out if you haven't been doing something already. Um, typically, Advent starts uh, the fourth, fourth Sunday before Christmas. So last Sunday was the first uh, Sunday. And a lot of times the, the devotionals that are out there begin December 1st. But that's okay. You can pick up at any point. So if you're looking for a good one, go to thevillagechurch.net, roll down about the middle of their uh, webpage, the, the homepage, they have a link there for an Advent uh, devotional you can do with your family. There's also things like the, the Advent calendar, or I'm sorry, the Advent candles or wreath, uh, whether you have a wreath around it or you just use the candles. Uh, and that's something actually we're going to do here in, in a moment. Uh, again, it's just this tool of, of anticipation. Even you see all the different candles and each week we're lighting a new one. It's like, hey, we're, we're going to get to that one, the white one that represents the, the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. When we, you know, on the verge of his coming, we celebrate the day that, that we say, okay, we're going to celebrate this day, his birth. I'd invite you to come out to our Christmas Eve service, uh, December 24th, that Sarah was talking about, where we have some candlelight worship, which is going to be a great time um, as we celebrate Jesus. But before we go any further, I do want to light our Advent can- candles. Uh, so the first one we'll light, uh, the tradition that we are going by um, has different values that each one represents. So the first one represents hope, and then that was last week, and the one for this week represents love. Uh, and the weeks ahead will cover joy and peace. And then the Christ candle as well. Last week we looked at uh, hope, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And today we're going to spend some time in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1 and 2 tell us this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so if you're wanting to do something like this in your home, uh, it doesn't need to be anything um, with all these different parameters put around it, it could be simply, hey, let's find a Bible verse that talks about hope, let's find that talks about love, and just talk about that as a family as we light the candles. If you have little ones at home, we've had a hard time uh, helping them get to a place where they want to engage in God's word, say, hey, here are the matches, let's light some candles and then read some scripture. I guarantee you, you'll win them over at least for that moment. So the question I want to ask here this morning is, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? So, you know, um, depending on what comes to mind, some of you may say yes, some may say no. Um, maybe you like to buy gifts and presents, and so maybe your, your shopping isn't done yet that you'd plan to do. Maybe you have some Christmas parties that you're hosting or that you're going to, and uh, maybe you are or aren't ready for those. Uh, but w- what's your plan of how you're going to celebrate Christmas this year? Is it the same as last year? Do you have some just kind of rhythms of the season? Or are there some new exciting things that you're adding to the story? 
Uh, for me and my family, we, we've really tried to expand on this, this mindset of Advent and, and truly make it a whole season. And, and I'm not sure um, we still have steps we can take in that. Uh, but one thing that we've always done is on Christmas Eve, we celebrate with my side of the family and spend some time with them. And then we gather together for a candlelight service. Uh, and then the next morning, uh, we go to Sarah's side of the family, my wife's side of the family, and we celebrate with them. And that's kind of been our tradition. But what's interesting is, is I reflect back on, on the past six years, I say six years because that's for how long we've had kids for, um, which kind of changes everything for us here, but uh, we were not always prepared to celebrate Christmas as a family. You know, I just mean just our immediate family. Yeah, we saw the extended families on both sides and had some good time with them, but we were rarely prepared to truly celebrate uh, just as our immediate family. We're always caught up in, okay, so now we just got home from all these activities on Christmas Eve and we got to pack because then next thing, first thing in the morning, we're, we're driving out to Wisconsin to go see your side of the family. It was always this kind of whirlwind going on. We were not always prepared with the gifts that we desired to give. I, I have these uh, visions that I'll be able to build a present for everyone that I want to give a present to. And, and there's been multiple years where I've been bringing something that I made out of wood up to my in-law's house where I then retreat to the basement because I have to put the last layer of top coat on it and hope and pray that it dries before I have to wrap it and then hope the wrapping paper doesn't stick because I didn't, you know, because I wrapped it too fast. Um, you know, or I've given many gifts. Okay, I got to do a little explaining. It still needs this, this, and this because I'm not quite done with it. I haven't always been prepared to give gifts. We haven't always been prepared to find a moment just to pause amidst the busyness of, of the services. Uh, I've been in ministry for a long time, been a part of a lot of Christmas services, and sometimes just, even the, the whole stuff of the season that goes along with this time of year, we haven't always been as prepared to just pause and reflect about the joy of what we're celebrating here at Christmas time. But here's the good news. No lack of preparation has ever stopped Christmas from coming. More importantly, no lack of preparation ever stopped Jesus from coming. Think about that for a moment. No lack of preparation has ever stopped Jesus from coming. Mary and Joseph, in one perspective, were not ready for what was about to happen. When I, we had our first kid... You know, we had to get a, a room set up and a crib set up and we did some, you know, took on all these other projects in the house and uh, my oldest was one week overdue and they, they're finally going to induce and so we knew when we were going to the hospital. Uh, it was like 7 a.m. that morning we were going to the hospital. I, I'd only got a few hours of sleep, not because I was awake in bed, restless, anticipating the birth of my, my first daughter, my first child, but because I was still working on projects till 3 in the morning. I mean, we were not ready with the room. Mary and Joseph weren't ready because there was a, a, a census that they had to go respond to. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's begin our Christmas story here that will kind of unfold over the weeks. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So because of the fact that the Romans 
ruled over the Jews at this time in history, and they said, hey, we're taking a census. You have to go back to your family's uh, original town and, and register there so we know how many people there are. Uh, we have to count for everybody. Mary and Joseph had no choice but to go and be counted. And so they weren't ready because they had all this other stuff they had to take care of. And yet Jesus still came. This baby boy that God gave us, his own son, who would grow into the man Jesus, still came. See, God fulfilled his promise. He displayed his love uh, to his people by sending his son to us. And he reveals the extent of his love in one capacity when we see that he, he doesn't wait for us to have it all together. He doesn't wait for us to be fully prepared for it. Church, hear this. The fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's promises does not rely on our preparation. The fulfillment of God's promises does not rely on our preparation. We, we are not a perfect people. We are a broken people in need of a Savior. And those of us who, who claim Christ are, are, are broken people who are being made new. It's, we're in process of being redeemed in and through Jesus. It's this already but not yet principle. We've already been forgiven, yet the work is not yet done until Jesus comes again. This also informs how we're to respond to others. We can't expect people that we want to share the good news of Jesus with to have it all together before we share Jesus with them. I mean, imagine that. But we do this sometimes as Christians. Where we have a friend who we want to invite to church, well, hey, I can't invite them yet. they they got some issues going on. Or maybe they finally say yes to invite you throughout, and you're like, oh, um, let's have a little chat before you come. There's, there's some things in your life. Let's not talk about these things. That, that's not the approach we should have as followers of Jesus. Because we're, we're just as messed up. We just have found forgiveness in our Savior. That would be like this. That would be like a doctor expecting you to be healed before he would see you. Doctor, I, I got a stuffy nose. It's been this way for a week. I, I can't breathe. I'm all congested. Will you see me to get me some medicine or to find a solution for me? Well, you know what? Wait three weeks. See if it passes. If you get better, come see me. Wait, what? Yeah, see, see if you get better. I want to wait till you're healed, and then I'll see you. It, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. So because God in his love doesn't wait for us to be ready, let us not wait for others, but let's just show them God's love. Because God is a God who fulfills his promises. One, he fulfills his promises because he's God. It, it's in his very nature. It's who he is to be one who will fulfill his promises, one who is faithful. And this is why we can have hope in him. We can expectantly wait on God. And not the kind of hope where, you know, hoping on a Hail Mary. I'm going to just leave that one at that. I'm not going to touch that anymore. I beat up Packer fans last week. But we're, it, it's an expectantly waiting because we know that God is faithful. He's one who fulfills his promises because it's his nature. He's one who fulfills his promises because God is love. We see this in, in 1 John as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. See, we're called as followers of Christ to, to love God and to love others. And the only reason that we can do this is because God first showed His love to us. 
And so the better we can understand God's love, I believe the better that we can then go and love others. So as we celebrate, as we remember the love of God and rejoice in that here today, let's also come to seek to understand God's love better so we can show that same love to others. In the passage we just read, 1 John 4, 8, uh, we see towards the end that, that God's love is a love of rescue. A love of rescue. Verse 9 said, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. The understanding and the connotation there is that apart from Christ, we would die. That there would be death. That there would be separation from God. That we, our, our eternity would be in hell. Apart from the work of Jesus. Because see, when we trust in Jesus, we are rescued from death and have life in him. So how, how can that be? How, how does that work? Jesus is a substitutionary atonement. He is a substitute. He takes our place and atones for our mistakes. The ways that we've gone against the word of God separate us from God. Doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter how small. Whether you're a great guy or a great gal who's just, you know, made a few mistakes, or you're, you know, you're the person that all your friends compare, compare themselves to. Well, at least I'm not that guy. Doesn't matter where you stand. Our mistakes, our, our sin, is what the Bible would call that, separates us from God. But God, knowing this, provides a way so that we trust in Jesus. His death on the cross takes the place of our death. And it's sufficient to do that because He is God. And so, Jesus' love is one of rescue. See, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, church. I think we need to hear this often because so many times we, we try to take salvation back into our own hands and say, okay, I, I'm going to work to be good enough. I, I'm going to fight for justice where there's injustices. I'm going to dedicate my life to that. I'm going to do all these good works. If there's a good work, man, I'll do it. Because I, I'm trying to work my way to God. We, we try to take our salvation back into our own hands, but we're just unable to attain it apart from Jesus. We cannot work our way to God. And that's okay because He came to us. He came to us. So are there people in your life that are in need of rescue that you could love? And specifically what I mean by this, when I say love, because we may not be able to rescue them, but we know one who can, right? So are there people in your life that you can love in a way that would lead them to finding rescue in Jesus? And we'll see, what are you talking about? Like, you know, if I pull over on the side of the road and, and you know, I see someone in trouble and I can pull, pull them out of a burning car, I've rescued them. Okay, yes, that's, that's one example. Probably not one that we will face all that often in life. But I think there's other things that go on where we feel like we're in a place of, of needing rescue. Where if someone doesn't step in and show us the hope, show us a way, that it's just all will be lost. One example. I, I know couples who are at a place in their marriage or have been at a place in their marriage at times where they've felt that way. Where they've just said, you know what, all hope is lost. This marriage is dying. We're just, we're just waiting for it to kind of the last heartbeat and then we'll go our separate ways. If you know people in your life like that, do you realize that the work of Jesus in our lives can bring life back into that marriage, can bring about rescue? If you're living that yourself, do you know that Pursuing Jesus and His ways 
can bring life back into that marriage. It can move you back into a place where husband and wife will like each other again and move back into a place where husband and wife will love each other again and will serve and sacrifice for one another. And I've seen it done. I know it's not easy. But it's possible. Jesus can rescue failing marriages. Do you have any friends who are in financial ruin? I had a friend one time, he pulled me aside, hey Steve, you know it costs me money to go to work every day? Basically what he's saying is, is, is the way his business was going, he, his bills were more than we can make in a day. He just felt like, hey, I'm, every day I just go and I dig my hole a little deeper. And I, I can't stop because I've got to bring something in. Well, he was in a place of financial ruin. Maybe you know someone like that. I know it's, it's too simple to simply say, oh, Jesus can fix your finances. Just trust in Jesus, and then your bank account will be full. That's not, that's not how it works. But as we surrender our lives to Jesus and follow the ways that he would call us to follow and, and pursue and practice righteousness, become a part of the body of Christ, we have others to walk with us who can share in those struggles and contribute to our needs. Maybe you know someone who's a struggling parent. Maybe they've confessed to you that at times, if you were to walk into their home, you would see them weeping in the corner and the kids you know, running circles around a homemade fire, campfire in the middle of the living room. Figurative or literal. I mean, you can imagine, maybe you've been at that point yourself even. Do you know that when we pursue the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, in the way that we parent our kids, that he can bring life into our parenting. There's times where I've, I've you know, maybe I got upset with, with, with my kids about something that just, you know, I yelled, I, I did something, I'm like, you know, that just wasn't, that wasn't a God-honoring way to, to work with my kids or to respond to them. And I, I stop and I reflect on that. I, Jesus brings to mind, okay, here's some things you can do. A lot of times that, that begins with humbling myself and going and apologizing to a six-year-old, a three-year-old, or a six-month-old and saying, I'm sorry, Daddy was wrong. Forgive me. And that begins to uh, bring life, new life into parenting and those relationships with our kids. Maybe you have someone, or even you yourself, is lost in depression where they're unable to see purpose and value in life. Do you know that in Jesus we, we find our purpose, our direction, Are there people in your life that you can help them to see that as well? Maybe you know someone who's been segregated from other people for whatever reason. Maybe you know someone who's been made to feel unwelcome or unworthy. Maybe in the office that you work in, you know that one, one guy that always eats lunch by himself for a different time because no one's uh, welcomed him or her in. Or more so, people have ridiculed them and, and, and segregated them from the group. Do we know that in Jesus that we're part of a community? That we're not alone in this? And that that person that we see who's been segregated against or discriminated against, that, that they're loved by God? Do we know that we can show that love of God to them by how we engage and interact? You say, okay, Steve, here's some, you're making some good points about how, hopefully you feel that way, about how we can show rescue, to, how we can uh, show a love of rescue to others. But really, what could I do? Do I just go, hey, uh, Jesus can help. How do I live that out? And each situation is different. Yes, we can remind them or teach them if they've never heard it about Jesus and about who he is and about the joy, the encouragement, uh, the rescue that he brings. 
One of the best things we can do is display it. Display how it's played out in your life. If you're in a failing marriage, or if you know someone is uh, who is, be the person, okay, God calls me to love my spouse no matter what. I'm going to fight to display that, either in my own marriage or for uh, my friends who are going through struggles. Okay, if I know someone's going financial ruin, ruin here, here's what I know God's Word teaches on finances. I'm, I'm going to try to display that as, as best I can. I'm going to try to be generous, try to be loving. Maybe you know someone who's segregated from others. Okay, I'm going to display Christ's love by welcoming them into my life, by pursuing them and going and sitting with them with a genuine heart of love, not simply one of duty. And so God has a love of rescue. Let us also love others to show them his love of rescue. We also are loved by a God with a love of pardon. Love of pardon. Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? I started measuring and I never quite got to the end. There is a complete separation of our sin from ourselves when we trust in Jesus. There is complete forgiveness. If you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it begins with as simple as confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he paid your price on the cross. For those of us who are already Christians, uh, when there's still sin in our lives, our steps are are one of... uh, repenting of known sin, and making a practice of pursuing righteousness, but remembering that there is complete separation, complete forgiveness in Jesus. 1 John 3, 4-6 says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, referring to Jesus. He came to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the question we can ask ourselves, what are we practicing in our life? Is it, are we practicing sin and lawlessness or are we practicing righteousness? And those who would be quick to say, hey, I'm, I'm practicing righteousness. Who is righteousness? Is it our own version? We say, yeah, here's what I think is right. Or are we practicing God's? Hey, I'm pursuing God's heart to see what does it mean to be righteous in his eyes. But here, here's what I want you to hear in this. When we come to understand God's love of pardon, I think sometimes we get thrown off when we are in sin. If we're followers of Christ and you know, we do something in our life that you know, we know is sin, it, it messes us up. And we don't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden we're like, I was already forgiven, but now I've sinned. You know, well, this scripture says, if I'm involved in sin, we actually keep on reading. It says, well, that, that's, that's the devil. The, the, you know, I'm, I'm following him. I mean, really, is that, have I fallen so far in, the, in this, this one step? But I want you to look at that word practice. Practice is lawlessness. Practice righteousness. See, when we sin, we can't allow ourselves to be sidelined by sin, but simply surrender to Jesus and be separated from it. This is an ongoing process. Uh, think about this. With, with the God who has sent his son because he loves us so much that he's willing to offer his son as a sacrifice to pay the price of our sin, 
say, okay, from this point forward, you're good, but if you do anything else anymore, then you're out. Would he be that cruel? Is that a heart of love? Or is that the same guy who says, hey, the price that Jesus paid on the cross is sufficient for all your sin. For all of it. And so after you've come to realize that and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when there's sin in your life, yes, repent of it and, and continue to surrender your life to Jesus. Say, okay, I, I, I'm turning the other way. I'm going your way, Jesus, and not my own. But don't allow yourself to be sidelined by sin. Instead, surrender to Jesus and be separated from it because you've been forgiven in Jesus. So we see how God's love, love has loved us. That he separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Are we loving others with a love of pardon? Are we loving others with a love of pardon? A love that forgives. I'm going to do a, a good chunk of your Christmas shopping for you right now. If you're trying to find the perfect gift for a family member, i got to imagine just the nature of family, doing life together, being in close quarters, there's probably someone or, or you know, some issue in the family or some people that, that you got resentment towards, who you haven't forgiven of ways that they've wronged you, justified or not. Give them the gift of forgiveness this year. Say, hey, God has loved me with pardon. I want to show you that same love of God, and I want to offer you forgiveness. Let that be a gift this Christmas season, that we offer the gift of forgiveness, that we don't hold people's sins against them, but we say, you are forgiven, because God doesn't hold our sins against us. It's not like, there's you, there's your sin. It's there's the east, there's the west. There's you, there's your sin, when we trust in Jesus. So God is a God of rescue. He has a love of pardon. He also has a love of sacrifice. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Jesus' love led him to sacrifice his life, to lay his life down. I get it. Loving others is messy. It requires sacrifice of us. But we see right off the bat, by this we know love that Jesus laid his life down. Hey, let us do the same. Let's use our worldly goods, our finances, and our resources to demonstrate God's love for others. As I thought about this, I'm like, well, how, how do we need to elaborate on this? Uh, yes, I'm sure for each one of us, there's ways we can take steps in loving others through sacrifice. Maybe there's even things that God's uh, bringing to mind that he's had on your heart for a while, of, of uh, a way that he's sought, you know, wanted you to, to use your, your worldly goods uh, to sacrifice, out of sacrifice to show his love to someone. But the more I thought about this, here's what I want to say about this. Well done, church. Well done, church. We just went through a month-long series about, of generosity where we raised $5,000 to create more space for people to come and hear the good news of Jesus, where we went and served the hungriest of children by packing food at Feed My Starving Children, where we sought to walk alongside those dealing with crisis pregnancies by meeting their, their tangible needs, 
for the children that they're bringing into the light, into, into this world. We've seen faithfulness in offerings that have been brought in. You see people stepping up in new ways, serving in new capacities, using their skills and their belongings to see the kingdom advance in and through Meadowland Church so they can go outside these walls into our community, into our lives. Well done, church. Now let's press on. Let's continue in that and continue to be generous and share with one another and share with our community because God is doing a work here and he's not done. So well done, church, in living a life of sacrifice. And let's continue to ask those hard questions, continue to see what God has for us in that. And finally, I want to close with this. God also loves with the love of adoption. And this is one that we can kind of demonstrate and kind of not. And I'll explain what I mean. 1 John 3, 1 through 2, we've already read this verse, but we need to come back to it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. See, the love of the Father changes who we are. Because of God's love, we shall be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So, at one point, we're enemies to God, living our own way, sinning against Him. And God, in His love, sends Jesus to rescue us from our sin, to pardon us from the ways we've gone against Him, to sacrifice His life so that we could have life. And then He adopts us as His own children. Doesn't this blow you away? That we would be called children of God. What a love the Father has for us. And we can show this, <clears throat> this love to others by finding those in our community, in our life, in our backyards who are in need of a family. Maybe it's through a tangible adoption where we go and we pursue uh, adoption agencies to find who are the, the children in our community that, that are in need of a family. Let's welcome them into our homes and adopt them as our own. Or maybe it's just finding those who, who are lonely and are in need of a family place they can call home. We need to invite people in to do life together with us. There's ways that we can live that uh, and, and model that kind of love. But here's where the difference comes in that we can't fully um, demonstrate. God doesn't just adopt us. But he adopts us to a place of rebirth. See, if you adopt a kid, yes, they, 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 they become part of your family. They are no less your kids than any naturally born kids that you may have. They're no less your own kids when you adopt. But on a genetic level, you could say, okay, you know, maybe they don't look like mom and dad because you know, they had different birth parents. At the very core of their nature, there, there's some differences there. But in Jesus, a change takes place, a, a rebirth. We are no longer who we were, but we are a new creation, reborn in Christ. We shall be like him. And so church, let us be willing to change. Let us be willing to let God work in us and through us as we demonstrate his love to this world because he's already loved us. This Christmas, even, this Christmas season, this Advent season and beyond, how can we love others as God loves us? It's a question for all of us to answer and then go and live out. Let's pray.
Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for who you are, Father God. We thank you that you did love us. We thank you for the ways in which you loved us, Father. That you didn't simply just rescue us and then leave us on the side of the road to die, but that you brought us in as your own. You adopted us as children of God. And then you placed your nature inside of us, Father God, that as we continue to surrender our lives to you, you do a work in us that makes us more and more like you each and every day, Lord Jesus. And we look forward, we long for, we anticipate, we yearn for the day when you will come again and complete the work you've started. But until then, we will stand fast on your promises that you will come back. We will stand fast on the work that you're doing in each one of us. And we'll share that with those that don't know about you. We'll share that with our community to show them that they are loved by you, Father God, by showing them that they're loved by us. Praise all in your name. Amen.